The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by Take-Two Healthcare. We want to put you on the WHIO payroll. I want to win so bad. Win $1,000 cash five times every weekday. Now you're talking. The WHIO payroll payout is sponsored by Saka, the Southern Ohio Chamber Alliance. Always looking out for the best interest of small business owners. You're on WHIO. And good morning. Thank you very much, guys. This is Dr. Andrew Dyer this morning, joining you live in studio today. And it is an absolutely picture-perfect day out there. So if you get the opportunity to go out and get a run-in, I know Dr. Margo likes to talk about that at the end of the show, but I, I figure we just start about start right off the bat with that. We need more exercise. Our population at large is not getting enough exercise. Now, there's some small subsects that get out and they go running or they swim or they bike and they go miles and miles and miles. And there's there's a balance and moderation needed there too. But for the overall, we need to work out more. And I know this last year and a half has thrown off our routines and our rhythms and our access to certain gyms and things of that nature. But we need to get out, especially on a day like this. I've already run about three and a half miles this morning. So I encourage you to get out there and do so too. This morning on the program, I'm going to cover... A variety of topics. We're going to talk a little bit about cancer, some genetic risk markers for cancer. We're going to talk about uh, some things you could do to help migraines if you're a migraine sufferer. And then we're going to explore an article about supplementation written by a registered dietitian. That's that's very interesting. It, it actually runs a little bit counterpoint to many of the things you've heard us say on this show, but I think it's worth covering to understand the angle that she's taking in this article and also be able to objectively see it for what it is in that article so that if that's where you choose to get your information about supplements, that you actually take it another step further and go to an opposing viewpoint and really get a good understanding of how and why these supplements can be used for the overall return of health in your body or to maintain the health of your body. Because if you take the author's word at, at surface here and just put that into practice, I believe you're going to really miss out. So we'll start with some uh, some migraine up, updated information here, but really just give you a little background on who I am. If you haven't heard this program before, I don't know where you've been the last 17 years, but I've been here with Dr. Merkel for that length of time right here in the Miami Valley, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to be here on this great radio station each and every Saturday. Uh, our clinic, of course, has three doctors of chiropractic in it, Dr. Van Merkel, Dr. Natalie Ailey, and myself, Dr. Andrew Dyer. I am triple board certified. I'm a doctor of chiropractic, board certified in the state of Ohio, board certified in chiropractic acupuncture, and board certified in clinical nutrition as well. Uh, so we practice a bunch of different modalities in our office. We have thermography. We have acu- I do acupuncture in our office. Uh, we practice chiropractic care and also clinical nutrition. So f- with that topic in mind, the clinical nutrition piece, I want to give you a little food for thought no pun intended here, but the article says more fish fats, less vegetable oils can reduce migraine headaches, uh, so finds a recent study. So a diet that's higher in fatty fish helped frequent migraine sufferers reduce their monthly number of headaches and intensity of pain compared to participants on a diet higher in vegetable-based fats and oils, according to a new study. These findings were by researchers from the National Institute on Aging, 
and the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, parts of the National Institutes of Health, as well as University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And their findings were published uh, July 3rd in an issue of the BMJ, which is the British Medical Journal. This study of 182 adults with frequent migraines expanded on the team's previous work on the impact of linoleic acid and chronic pain. Now, for those of you who don't know, linoleic acid is a polyunsaturated fatty acid commonly derived in the American diet from corn, soybean, and other similar oils, as well as some nuts and seeds. It is actually also a marker that we test for when we run our advanced coronary panel uh, formerly, some of our patients had known it and understood it to be the Cleveland Heart Panel, and, and that's what it was originally called. But that advanced coronary panel actually can test your linoleic acid level in your blood. And that gives us a lot of great feedback as to what to do about it and if and whether or not that's impacting your overall health. So the team's previous smaller studies found that a diet lower in linoleic acid and higher in levels of omega-3 fatty acids, like those found in fish and shellfish, could soothe this pain pathway inflammation. In a 16-week intervention, subjects received meal kits. One group received meals with high levels of fatty fish and lowered linoleic acid. A second received meals with high levels of fatty fish and higher linoleic acid. And the third received meals with high linoleic acid and low levels of fatty fish to mimic average U.S. intakes. And their findings were... The diet that was low in vegetable oil and high in fatty fish produced 30 to 40% reductions in total headache hours per day, severe headache hours per day, and overall headache days per month compared to the control group. Now, the source on this article is ScienceDaily.com if you want to look that up. It's really, really interesting stuff to know that chronic headache sufferers as well as migraine sufferers could make a large, large impact just by eating some of the right things to lower their inflammation and avoiding some of those uh, products and nutrients that actually raise inflammatory levels. So for those of you out there with migraines, if chiropractic care and acupuncture have not yet been enough to target your pain and problems to a point where you're getting headache reduction. Now, a lot of times we can get that with the patients that we see with just chiropractic and acupuncture alone, but there may be a way that they're screwing it up while they're not in our office. And I, and I don't mean to say that in, in any other way other than the, the foods that we're choosing are potentially creating highly sustained levels of inflammation. And no matter how many times we adjust and how many times we, we put the acupuncture needles in the exact right location for that patient, they may not get enough long-lasting headache pain reduction until they really explore their dietary options, until they really dive into that piece and, and, and give it a go on that level. So a lot of things to consider. I do treat migraines regularly. Um, and, and just like I was saying, a, a lot of times migraine patients will call in and think, well, I need a chiropractic and an acupuncture appointment. And that is true. Uh, a lot of times that is a very, very successful treatment option that we can give. But sometimes it also takes a little bit of a deeper dive. And when I say deeper dive, I mean this. We look at 55 different biomarkers in people's blood tests. And I say biomarkers. They're blood tests. They're blood test values. Glucose and hemoglobin A1C. What does that tell us? Well, right off the bat, it tells us whether or not they have a normal sugar handling body 
or maybe they're leaning more towards a pre-diabetic state, or maybe they're a full-blown diabetic. How does that impact the rest of their system? Well, we know that people that are suffering from diabetes have higher levels of chronic inflammation in their body. So if we were able to address their diet, get their, some of their sugars under control in a better in a better place, then we could reduce inflammation and potentially also impact their headaches, joint pain, gut problems. I mean, you name it, if it's if it's an inflammatory-based issue and we can turn down the levels of inflammation, we can do a lot of good for people. And we do that. We do that regularly on our website at take2healthcare.com. So the word take, T-A-K-E, the number two, and then healthcare.com is our website. That's where you can find more information about the things that we do, how we practice, the modalities we offer. Like I said before, thermography, chiropractic, acupuncture, and clinical nutrition. And we have great case studies on that website, uh, patients that we've treated over the years uh, with a variety of diagnoses from headaches to gut problems to significant conditions, lupus, cancer patients. We, we work with all sorts of people that have all sorts of problems to help them get on the road to, to better health. So that's how we can help. That's what we do. Uh, if you have heard of us before on the web, but have also wanted to follow us on Facebook, you can do that as well. So there's a clickable link right on the website to get onto our uh, Facebook page to follow us there. Uh, and if you need to get a hold of us on the phone, the number at the office is 937-433-3241. Um, that's how you call us at the office, and uh, staff will be back Monday morning at 7.30, and I'll be there too. Uh, wanted to move over into another topic here. I know we have a few minutes before the first break, so we'll dive into it now. We might have to finish it on the other side of the break, but just a little short blurb that that I found interesting this morning as I, as I prepared to share with you today. So, Healthy lifestyle may help mitigate high genetic risk of cancer. Okay, that's not a shocker. You've heard us on this program for the last couple of decades talking about these kind of ideas. And again, the source here is sciencedaily.com, just like I was using before. But healthy lifestyle factors such as abstinence from smoking and drinking, low body mass index, and exercise correlated with decreased cancer incidence, even in individuals with a high genetic risk. I think that's a really important statement. I'm going to read it to you again because I want you to understand that a little bit deeper, and it might take second reading to get that. But you've heard us talk about this before. If we stay as healthy as possible, even if we have a known high genetic risk for cancer, we can push that much, much deeper down into the future and not allow it to affect us today. So healthy lifestyle factors. I know I just said it, but you need to hear it again. Healthy lifestyle factors such as abstinence from smoking and drinking, low body mass index, and exercise correlated with decreased cancer incidence, even in individuals with high genetic risk. So as genetic research continues to uncover loci or areas in DNA with specific changes that influence cancer risk, researchers can define, can define PRS, which is polygenic risk scores, okay, personalized estimates of an individual's cancer risk based on a patient's unique combination of these changes. However, most PRS are generated for a specific cancer type. So you've all heard about the BRCA gene by now, B-R-C-A, BRCA gene for breast cancer genetic risk detection. That's one example. Okay, But they don't yet have a system where they can test these genetic markers for overall cancer risk. They have to do them for specific cancers right now. 
And a PRS indicating risk of a certain cancer is important, but not enough, says Guangfu Jin, an author of the study. We tried to create an indicator, the cancer polygenic risk score, to measure the genetic risk of cancer as a whole. So patients with the highest quintile of CPRS were nearly twice as likely for men and 1.6 times as likely for women to have a cancer diagnosis by their most recent follow-up in 2015 or 2016. Notably, 97% of patients in the study had a high genetic risk. They were in the top quintile of at least one cancer type. This suggests that almost everyone is susceptible to at least one type of cancer, says the author. And it further indicates the importance of adherence to a healthy lifestyle for everyone. In that vein, uh, if there was um, one of the simplest things, one of the most cost-effective ways to reduce cancer risk, it would be supplement properly with vitamin D, vitamin D3. It's just absolutely one of the best buck-for-buck choices, pound-for-pound, uh, $8.67 before tax to buy 100 of these in our office. You can take one a day. If you're an adult, weighs 100 pounds or more, uh, if you weigh 200 pounds, you might get away with 10,000 some days. But we're going to come back on the other side of break, and we'll discuss more about vitamins, supplements, and we're going to have a case study after that, too. So thank you for tuning in this morning. You've been listening to Dr. Andrew Dyer on AM 1290 WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And we are back. Thank you very much. Dr. Andrew Dyer here this morning with you. And just on the other side of the break, I was mentioning vitamin D3, and I, I'm sure you've all heard us say that many, many times on this program. But from a cost-effectiveness standpoint, for $8.67 before tax, 100 of these things can be highly beneficial for you. I say 100 of these things. They're, they're tablets that you take daily with food, okay? Because we cannot get enough D3 anywhere in our diets, not even from sunshine. So if you don't know the statistics on this, they measure vitamin D absorption through the skin, naked at the equator. So unless you're somewhere in the equatorial countries and you're not wearing very much clothing, you're not going to get very much vitamin D absorbed. Even on a gorgeous day like this, hardly any cloud cover, you go outside, take a walk, you may have your arms and legs out to the sun, you may even have your face and head and neck out to the sun, but you've got a shirt on, you've got shorts on, or, or whatever you choose to wear. But our society is not really ready for us to walk up and down the sidewalk soaking up vitamin D the way they measure it at the equator. So it's not a, going to be a good option. Now, the diet has very few good sources of D3. An egg yolk is one of them. And you've heard me talk the last couple of weeks about egg yolks and how they, they're not a component of high cholesterol causing foods. They do contain cholesterol, but that doesn't automatically equate to putting more cholesterol in our blood. So egg yolks are going to be highly beneficial as a source of vitamin D3. But the tablet contains 5,000 IUs, and an average egg has 40 IUs. So the numbers are just off by so much. And if you want to get enough in to, to optimize your blood levels, which research shows to protect yourself from cancer risk, 
just simply with vitamin D3 levels alone, you got to get up to about 75 or greater. That's what the newest research is showing. So consider that uh, as we covered a couple other things here in, in this article. And I know I'm not going to run through it all here before the next break, but we'll start. So the article is written, and it's, it's patient advice to supplement or not to supplement. And it's important to understand that it was written by a registered dietitian. Now, I'm not picking on registered dietitians, but their, their typical mode of operation that I've seen over my years in practice is they want patients to be able to get all their nutrients from food. And we know, statistically speaking, that's just not possible. Since 40s, 50s, and 60s, the decades, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, over-farming and, and the way we produce food in this country and others like ours the nutrient depletion from the soil just simply will not allow even levels of vitamin A, vitamin B, C, D, E measured in foods from back before the 40s, 50s, and 60s were much, much higher on, on sometimes on a percentage basis of two and 3,000 percent different in terms of the amount of vitamin A in certain foods then versus now when grown under the same conditions. So it's, in my opinion, not possible to count just on food to do the whole job here and getting your nutrient levels up high enough. And that is partially why we test. And, and I mentioned a, a few tests that we do before, and I'm going to go back through that later. But one of the things and reasons why we test is to figure out where people are when we're starting with them. Because if we can establish a good baseline as to where they are when we begin, we can really show how much improvement we can get over time. And, and isn't that the goal? I mean, you don't come in just thinking, well, I'm going to take all these supplements for the rest of my life and I'm never going to know how well they're working. So that's specifically, too, for some patients that have been on the same vitamin regimen with us for maybe two or three years and haven't yet done a retest of blood and hair. That's something that you really should try to get done at, at some point soon because the nutrients that we started you on at the beginning may not really be still the best ones for you at this time. Bodies change. Bodies change second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour. So we really have to keep these things updated. And so the article from this registered dietitian says she makes the argument for and against heavy supplementation versus tailoring the diet. So the overall takeaway in the article is over-supplementation can be harmful for patients and caution should be taken in regard to the formerly safe opinions on water-soluble vitamins and absorption of antioxidants. Okay, well, obviously I'm not going to leave you at just that point, but we do have to take another break. So we'll take a break and we'll come back and we're going to dive into this. You're listening this morning on AM 1290 WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And we are back. Thank you very much. So diving right into the article, as mentioned on the other side of the break, supplementation to do it or to not. So again, from this registered dietitian's perspective, she says, athletes, clients, friends, and family members often ask me what vitamins and minerals they should be taking. And this is actually a rather complicated question, uh, one that I also get all the time. And probably in our practice, the easiest way to do it is to test. The best, easiest, most effective, most efficient way is to test and figure out where they're low. Because without that bit of knowledge you really are just kind of 
giving them a random list that may or may not work for them. So while many would assume it's a good idea to take a multivitamin to fill in the gaps that are missing from their diets, this can also be harmful if done incorrectly. Well, I don't know about that statement, but we'll go on. If you eat a varied diet with whole grains, plenty of calories, protein, fruits, fruits, and vegetables, you probably do not need a multivitamin, but you might think, what's the harm? In reality, there's a chance you could be putting yourself at risk. With that said, there are some circumstances that, that do not necessitate supplementation. Okay, I can think of very few. Most people's diets aren't good enough, not even close. They can't do it that way because the nutrients aren't even available. Even if their diets were that good, they're not going to make it. And What's the harm in a good multivitamin? Now, the fact should be debated about the quality of the multivitamin. So a Centrum Silver isn't going to get it done. Um, but there are several other good, clean, excellent products out there by a variety of different manufacturers. And I'm not even going to get into which ones are good and which ones aren't. But there are many, many good options that are also highly effective and very, very safe with testing. The harm in excess. It has been previously assumed that the water-soluble vitamins are not harmful in excess because we excrete what we don't need, and that fat-soluble vitamins are stored in fat cells, so they can be harmful if we get too much. Well, this isn't exactly true either. We've come to understand that B vitamins and vitamin C, the water-soluble vitamins, can concentrate in our tissues and lead to cancer growth if taken in large amounts. Well, again, it's going to be hard to see any knowledge of that from a research standpoint at this point in time. And, and there's things that come out all the time. Reader's Digest is, is famous for running things like uh, taking too much calcium will give you kidney stones and taking too much vitamin E will give you prostate cancer and all these different things that they've published over the years. Well, if you really dive into the nuts and bolts behind some of those headlines, you can get a better and deeper understanding where the prostate cancer link between vitamin E was done using synthetic vitamin E supplementation. And that's something we would never use in our office. So when we discuss vitamins, we have to be very careful on how specifically we refer to them because not all vitamin E is created equally, just like B, just like C. Now, there's another statement in this article about B6 called pyridoxin that's stored in the liver and can lead to liver damage if too much is consumed. Well, Anything in excess can be damaging, sure. But again, that's why we test. We test so we know. We test so we don't give too much. And after we've corrected the problem, we remove that supplement from the, from the nutrient list for the patient. So the testing really is the key. Most multivitamins contain exponentially more than 100% of the daily value of water-soluble vitamins because they were previously considered to be safe. More research has demonstrated this is not the case. Well, here's the other thing about understanding the RDA values or RDI values, however you want to say it most fancily. But the 100% marker is just basically a quote-unquote welfare for the body system where we're getting the very basics to meet the needs to remain in absence of old third-world conditions. So, for example, on vitamin D, osteomalacia and rickets are conditions that affect skeletal growth in infants around the world when their diets and their supplementation don't have enough vitamin D3. Then the bones actually don't mature properly. They're too soft. They're curved and not strong enough to support the weight of the body. And that's a problem. It's not a problem we often see in this country, but it is a problem that we see in other areas of the world. So, yes, testing is important. Yes, we need more sometimes than 100% RDA or RDA, 
RDI value. And we have to understand where those numbers are coming from. Most of those numbers have not been updated in the last several decades. It wasn't until maybe five or 10 years ago, they actually moved the RDA value for vitamin D3 up from 200 to now somewhere between six and 800, depending upon sex and weight and those categories. But that's the other thing the RDA and, and RDI values typically don't take into account for. And that is size of person. Are they male? Are they female? Uh, there's all sorts of different factors for needs of specific nutrients that one number is not going to be the all-encompassing piece of data that we need. So then there are the fat-soluble vitamins, which include vitamins A, D, E, and K. Most of these can cause adverse effects if taken in excess. Okay, with that statement, I will agree. But again, it comes back to testing. If we test properly and thoroughly, and we know that someone's vitamin D level starting off at 7, and we want to get, to get them up to around 75 or higher, we know we can give an awful lot of vitamin D3 for a short time to get their levels there. And I believe we do it much more effectively than the typical medical prescription on vitamin D. A lot of times the, the medical docs will prescribe their patient to take vitamin D2, and they'll give them 50,000 IUs one time a week. Well, if you know anything about the difference between vitamin D2 and vitamin D3, vitamin D2 is pretty poorly absorbed by the human body, where vitamin D can be very excellently absorbed when given with other cofactors. Calcium, magnesium, some vitamin K if needed. doesn't always uh, have to be vitamin K. I had a patient ask me that this week. She said, well, if you're going to give him, uh, it was the wife of the patient asking, if you're going to give him this much vitamin D, doesn't he need vitamin K as well? I said, well, not necessarily. His vitamin D levels are responding appropriately with the level we're giving him. And he was actually eating so much of the green leafy vegetables that he was getting enough K just from his diet alone, which I told you was hard to do. But this guy was actually getting it done because when we, when we looked back at his K levels from previously, he was optimal. And so vitamin D3 can be very efficiently absorbed even if we don't give additional K. And K, being a fat-soluble vitamin, will also have to be tested for in the blood before we just randomly put somebody on vitamin K. So some of these can cause excess if take, or some of them can cause adverse effects if taken in excess. So vitamin A is also stored in our liver. So too much can be a little bit liver toxic. Now, if we give a form called beta carotene, that's a precursor of vitamin A. So it takes a healthy liver to actually convert that beta carotene into vitamin A. It's much more liver toxic sparing. It does not create liver toxicity as readily. So if we give it in the proper dose and we come back to it later and measure it, uh, we can save that liver and actually do really good things. Vitamin E, an antioxidant, but taking superfluous amounts can disturb the body's antioxidant system by inhibiting the binding sites for other antioxidants like vitamin C, copper, zinc, and selenium, which serve other purposes. Okay, maybe, but it takes an awful lot of vitamin E to do that. Typical dose we might use, 400, 800, even 1,200 IUs of a mixed tocopherol form of vitamin E. Again, not all vitamin E is created equally, just like not all calcium is the same, not all magnesium is the same. So we have to know and understand uh, the biochemistry behind these things. And, and I had this chat with a, another highly functioning patient not too long ago, and I say highly functioning, he's a very, very smart individual, um, uh, actually either a PhD or MD, I can't recall, but, but we had this discussion that 
in the front of the biochemistry textbook that we all have to use in graduate school. Whether you go to chiropractic college or medical school, you use the same biochemistry text. And on the very opening flap of the cover, it says this. Vitamins and minerals are considered the building blocks for life. So if we know and understand that basic point, that comes back to our, our diet needing to be on point and our supplements needing to be on point to support life. Okay, how about some vitamin D information? I know you've heard a lot of it before, but it's, it's always good to revisit. On the other hand, it's almost impossible to obtain toxic amounts of vitamin D, which we get from sources like the sun. Yes, fortified dairy has some D in it, although, again, poorly absorbed because it's not the right form. Fatty fish and shiitake mushrooms. Unfortunately, there are many factors that inhibit the body's synthesis of vitamin D. So, for instance, people who live in the northern latitudes are at a relatively greater risk for vitamin D deficiency. Why? Because we don't get as much sunlight during winter months. But I told you anyway, sunlight alone isn't going to do the job. In summer, when it is easier for us to get vitamin D from the sun, the majority of people wear sunscreen. And that effectively blocks a lot of the vitamin D absorption. Additionally, individuals who are overweight sequester vitamin D in fat cells, which renders it unusable by the body. This is a problem because vitamin D plays a major role in regulating inflammation levels. What's more, vitamin D deficiency is linked with every disease we know of. That is a great line, maybe the best line in this whole article. What's more is vitamin D deficiency is linked with every disease we know of, from asthma, arthritis, cardiovascular disease, to cancer and diabetes, just to name a few. Knowing this, vitamin D is the one and only vitamin I recommend to almost everyone. And she says, as a dietitian, I typically advise people to get their nutrients from food, but this is the one exception to the rule. Why? And if this was the rule she was actually using, then her entire article would be blown up with this one statement. I typically advise people to get their nutrients from food, but this one is the exception to the rule because you can't get enough of it from food. If that little tenant ran through this entire article, the article would be nothing. It wouldn't be as specific as it needs to be because there are exceptions to everything, but this vitamin D stat is hugely important. Now, what about some other antioxidants? Let's move on to the coveted antioxidants, which include vitamins A, C, E, as well as copper, zinc, selenium, and lutein. Antioxidants are critical because they stabilize free radicals produced in our body. While it's important for men to consume antioxidants post-workout, women should avoid them after physical exercise as they can interfere with the body's adaptive mechanisms. However, it's still important for everyone to have a high antioxidant intake overall. So where do we get antioxidants in our diet? Fruits and veggies, beans, nuts, seeds, shellfish, and egg yolks. Yes, the yolks. Stop throwing the best part of the egg away. It is essential to obtain antioxidants from our food for a few reasons. First... We haven't perfected the complicated process of extrapolating antioxidant properties and putting them into supplement form. Well, that's not entirely true because coenzyme Q10, A, C, and E all come in supplement forms. We just have to get the right one. You won't get the same benefit from a pill and you may experience harmful side effects such as hardening of the arteries. That's been proven false time and time again. Also, zinc and copper compete for the same binding sites within the body. People often take zinc to stave off illness, which can inadvertently precipitate a copper deficiency. And a copper deficiency inhibits proper use of iron, ultimately causing anemia that is certainly not going to make your running any easier. 
So she's, again, referring to some of the athletes she works with. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on, on the other side, too. But there's athletes and iron issues coming up next. And we'll finish off the, the show with this article. Probably might not have time for the case study, but we'll try to squeeze it in if we can. Or we'll save it for the next time I'm back. You've been listening this morning live to Dr. Andrew Dyer on AM 1290 WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And we are back. The final few minutes here just to finish our article that we've nearly made it through. So athletes and iron issues. Speaking of iron... We work with a lot of athletes uh, who have issues. This is the author saying she works with a lot of athletes who have issues with iron deficiency, which can lead to fatigue, decreased exercise performance, headaches, and even dizziness. We lose iron in our sweat and from our GI tract. So when we have a bowel movement, we do get rid of iron. We also break down red blood cells within our whole body when we run. So we should take iron, right? Not necessarily. Iron's extremely complicated. It's the opposite of an antioxidant and can actually feed infection at times when it's not needed. Sometimes we may appear to be iron deficient, but in reality, our bodies are in a state of inflammation. Since iron can feed infection, our bodies secrete a protein called hepcidin to inhibit iron transport and reduce its absorption. This means that while there may be plenty of iron in your body, it is in storage to protect you from more problems. So in addition... If you have your iron measured during an intense training season, your blood volume will be expanded. So specific levels underneath the red blood cell count could show higher if you've really been doing a lot of training. So a lot of cardiovascular or even training at high altitudes, which a lot of the endurance and long-distance athletes do, it increases their blood volume. So causing the iron level to appear lower than it really is. If you finish a challenging workout and then get your iron level checked, you may show signs of inflammation, pushing the iron into storage. There's many other blood measurements that you can take before determining if an iron supplement is necessary, including transferrin, ferritin, which is part of our standard protocol to test, C-reactive protein, which is on our standard panel, and hemoglobin and hematocrit tests, which are also there. So four out of those five we run on everybody we see if we're doing our standard blood panel. If we need to add other things, we can. But these are a few of the many examples of what can become negative effects of nutrients if the body's not tested properly and thoroughly ahead of time. So when we eat nutrients, they can be better absorbed because other nutrients can enhance intake, which is why we often give supplements together too, because why? They act synergistically. Uh, So one begets the absorption of the other. So ACE, they all help each other become absorbed better. Now, what about a quick word on food prep and absorption? The way we prepare foods can also affect our absorption. So typically it's thought of that some of these green leafy vegetables, when consumed raw, are going to be in a more healthy uh, natural state that way. But due to some of the the fiber formations within those foods, uh, they're not as easily absorbed by everyone when eaten raw. So when lightly cooked, steamed, uh, the binding is broken, which allows our bodies to effectively uh, get the calcium and iron absorbed from those Uh, green leafy vegetables. And I know that then there's a little blurb here that goes on about calcium and iron and how they can build up and cause kidney stones. If that were the case, nearly every patient that we've taken care of over the last two, three, four decades 
would have had issues with kidney stones. And we just simply don't see that. Now, again, it comes back to the right form. If we give calcium in a proper format and we give it at the right dosage based on patient testing, no issues come about. And we've seen very little of that over our time. Just in wrapping up this morning, I uh, want to encourage you to get out there, get a walk or run in, uh, enjoy this outdoor weather while it's here with us. And if you haven't had your blood tested in a while, uh, give us a call Monday morning. The way you reach us at the clinic is 937-433-3241, or you can find us on the web at take2healthcare.com. You've been listening live this morning on WHIO, the Dr. Andrew Dyer, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. Have a good weekend. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.